0: top Up is supported by Macrae Financial Services, financial planning for every stage of life. Visit mcraefs.co.uk. More details on Macrae a little later. Now let's roll on with our chat. Well today I'm in central Scotland just outside Dunblane chatting with Judy Murray. We're basking in the luxury Victorian mansion that is Cromlix Hotel, of course, owned by son Sir Andy Murray, and I have to say, Judy, you look very, very much at home here.
1: <laughs> well, I would certainly be the family member who spends the most time here, um, and actually, we are all very proud of uh, of Cromlix, um, and it's quite a maybe quite an interesting and quite fun story of how we came to own it, um, and. Uh, Probably about 10 years ago now, uh, Cromlix. yeah as you say, it's a Victorian country house and it would always have been the special place within the Dunblane catchment where you'd go for an occasion, a big occasion. The factor who's looking after the estate came into my brother's optical practice in Dumblane High Street one day and left his card and said, we're just preparing Cromlix to go on the market. It had been operated as a hotel by the family, and then it had been leased to other hotel operators for a number of years, but it had fallen into disrepair because the owners didn't want to spend money kind of keeping it it up. And so it got to a stage where nobody wanted to lease it. Um, So anyway, my brother handed me the the card. I stuck it in my back pocket, really didn't think anything of it, and Andy happened to phone that night. And he's like a typical boy. He doesn't phone very often unless he'd lost his passport or lost his wallet or something. So, (laughs) of course, I immediately say... What's the matter? And he went, nothing. I was just phoning about what, whatever, I can't remember what it was. And conversation went on. He was saying, how's everything? How's everything in Dunblane? And I said, oh, by the way, and I said, you know, Crumlicks is gonna go on the market. Never thinking for a minute that it would interest him. And he went, oh, I'd quite like to buy that. And I went, no, you wouldn't. I went, nobody lives in houses like that anymore. It's falling to bits. And he went, no, no, no. He said, I wouldn't want to live in it. He said, we could run it as a hotel. So it silenced from me and I went, we don't know anything about running hotels. <laughs> and he said, no, but you could find out. You could find out. And so, mum, go and look at it, have a look. I came up and had a look at it. It had been closed for about six months, freezing cold, dark, half the lights didn't work. There was a bat flying around the library. The kitchen was awful. The, the laundry, they were just ghastly, so antiquated and filthy. And I was just like, no, did my best to try and put them off and he wasn't having it. He's going, mom, it'd be great for the area, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think he just loved the idea of having something in our backyard and being able to contribute to to the area. So I went off and did what you would do, don't know anything about this, find somebody who does and um, scoped it out, searched it out, found a a great hotel management company um, and spent some time with them and 14 months well, we bought it 14 months of refurb later at huge expense. Um, it was open on April Fool's Day, believe it or not, in 2014. So eight and a half years later, um, we're just about ready to kind of refurb it um, again, you know, post pandemic and, and so forth. So, uh, but it's, it's gorgeous. We're incredibly proud of it. And it's, it's been a great success and a great source of enjoyment um, for, actually for the whole family.
0: But what a challenge for you. Uh, 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 you yeah, you, you, key is getting in the right people to, to help, and, and you've done that throughout, throughout your life, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive believer in investing in people. And if you don't know something about something that you need to know something about, you go and find people who do. And that's really been the story of my trying to learn how to coach and develop players I didn't know anything about it I mean nobody had ever coached me in my days there was no such thing as a tennis coach in fact you know you played tennis in the summer and you played another sport in the winter because there was no indoor courts. so when I went into or into coaching as as a volunteer at Dunblain Sports Club and as some of the kids started to get better and I realized you know I learned with a wooden racket (laughs) traditional grips and so forth I thought I don't know and there was nobody to learn from because tennis coaching just wasn't a thing. So I started to go to some workshops and some conferences in other countries to try to find out because the internet wasn't a thing back then. Nowadays, you can find so much online, um, both to read, watch and listen to. But there was nothing then. So I've always been that if you, you know, if you want to learn something, find somebody who knows and invest time in yourself in order to hopefully get it as right as, as you can. So that's what I did with the hotel
0: how much of you in those days was think come on Judy i need to find out about this i need to push myself i need to get myself into that situation or did you go into it
1: seamlessly um no i wanted to learn and i think that when i was working at uh, at Dunblane club and a lot of the local kids were were starting to come for me not not just from Dunblane, but from the local catchment and uh, we started to build a really thriving club program there and then i went into becoming the district coach as well. So I was responsible for, I think I had about 70 kids from all the local clubs coming coming in. And I was loving it, but I realized I didn't know enough. You know, the game had changed a lot from when I played. And I thought, gosh, you know, but to invest in myself, I understood enough about that. If I invest in myself, I'm investing in the players because I can help them more. And um, yeah, no, I just, I thought, right, what do I have to do And with so much of it? It's it's common sense. You, you just listen to your gut and you go, right, let's go, where am I going to learn something from? I'll go to this conference, I'll go to this workshop, I'll listen to that person. And then you meet people at them and they will tell you, you should go and listen to so-and-so. And, you know, when you tell them what, what it is that you're trying to do. um. So yeah, I, I yeah I think um everything was just sort of bit by bit. What do I need to know next? What does the next stage look like? What do I need to fill in there? And I remember Frank Dick, um, who's a former GB Athletics Supre- Supremo, also Scottish, um, I remember asking him to come and speak at our Scottish Tennis Coaches Conference, that was when I was the national coach, and he came up and he really did it as a favour to me because I couldn't afford to pay him, I had zero budget. And I remember him doing this presentation about player development because I wanted him to talk about, well, athlete development, I wanted him to talk to all the coaches that came along, to get them more geared up to, we're trying to raise the level and we're trying to give opportunities to the Scottish kids to improve and maybe get to a stage where they could be national, international. Uh, Standard. And I remember him doing this wonderful presentation, and he said, Here are all the things, all the ingredients that go into this, a bit like baking a cake, I suppose. And he said, You don't need to be an expert in all of those things. You need to know enough about them, and you need to be able to find the experts when you need them. And that was when I thought, Right, I'm going to learn a little bit about everything, and I'm going to go to these conferences and find who the experts are so that in a few years time when I maybe need an expert in, I don't know, tennis specific strength and conditioning or nutrition or whatever, I'll go, oh, I'll listen to that guy at that or that lady at that and, and I know where to get them. And that was really, that was really how I did it. It was, uh, but, but he kind of lit the spark for me with just with what he said. Otherwise it could become quite daunting if you think, like, oh, I'll never be able to remember all of that or know all of that. But um, I, I really believed that it was possible for us to produce great little tennis players in Scotland. Um, and I don't think anybody else really believed that we could because tennis is very much a minority sport um, in Scotland. And at, at that time, we didn't, I mean, we had very few indoor courts. We still do, but back then there was like literally hardly any. So nobody aspired to be a great player and nobody aspired to be a great coach because you couldn't work all year in it. So there was a lot of things that needed to, needed to change. But yeah, I, that, that's always been my thing. Just if you see something that needs to be done, Get off your butt and do it. And if you don't know something, find somebody who does and work alongside them.
0: That doesn't mean you don't still have major frustrations in terms of of trying to grow the game in this country.
1: <laughs> I've got huge frustrations again because I think of everything that we built up. I think of you know the the, the coach base that we built up. Um, you know, a lot of them have gone to work it down south or 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 in in other countries now, and. I look at the you know what Jamie, Andy, Jamie Baker, Colin Fleming, Elena Baltasha, I look at what they achieved on a world stage and the the kind of how they elevated Scottish tennis within British tennis first of all and then you know on a world stage. And the never could have imagined that the profile of our sport could ever be so high, front page, back page, Grand Slams, World Number Ones, Olympics, Davis Cup. Um So your shop window was there and of course I left the national coach job after 10 years to go with Andy and Jamie to try to give them the best possible chance that I could and it's just been so disappointing to me how everything has just slid down and we're now at a stage where there are you know there's hardly any good juniors coming through I mean national international level there's hardly any coaches dedicated to player development out in the field and it's I mean, you need somebody to pull it all together. You need everybody to feel like they're part of a plan and part of a vision and an ambition, and it's almost like starting again now. And it's it's very it's incredibly disappointing and frustrating to me that the boys will retire. I'm sure in a, in a year, or a couple of years' time, and then you have no shop window. You know, I've um it's taken me eight and a half years to get to a stage where I'm trying to build a a tennis centre. It's part of a multi-sport hub with tennis at the heart of it. And, um, you know, it's taken us a long time, a lot of hurdles to get over. But, you know, you need a base from which to grow and showcase the game. You need a base to do all your workforce development, you know, whether that's referees or administrators or coaches but you need an inspirational place where you want people to come in and show them examples of best practice give them great training and then they can go back out into their own backyards and hopefully spread spread the word but um you know i I, i'm hoping that we can start digging on that in the spring and be open in the spring of 2024 but as somebody pointed out to me the other day spring 2024 that's great um that's the year in which you will be 65 and I thought, don't say that. And I went, when I actually thought about it like that, I thought 65, <laughs> that's retirement. And I thought, I'm going to have to work my butt off to make this centre work. But I, the, the thing with me is I still have the passion to do it. But Doesn't matter a, what age you are. I'll have a place to do it from. Exactly. It, it, as long as you have the energy and the, and, and the passion. Um, that that's the, So I just need to stay alive to be able to see it. <laughs> well,
0: I, I I have no worries on that score. I often think, you know, when I see you buzzing about the country, doing all the things that you do for tennis and otherwise, I think there must be about six Judy Murrays because you can be in, seem to be in several places at once. You're running the, the She-Hits, you're running the, the... going up to Mary Hill to see the tennis courts, you're, you're in London doing what I think. You do have an am- amazing energy.
1: Yeah, I do. I, I Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I think... Uh, I think it kind of runs in our family. My mum's a bit like that. She's like a, a human dynamo. And uh, I think I, I'm, I'm quite like that. But I really am one of these people that, you know, uh, if you can't see it, be it. So whenever I've seen something that needs to be done, I'm always thinking, oh, don't wait for somebody else to do it let's just go let, let's let find a way t- and so a lot of the initiatives that, that i've created whether that's taking tennis into disadvantage in rural areas of scotland to try and spread the game into places where it currently doesn't exist um I've, I've done that for seven or eight years the whole thing of building a bigger female workforce that's hugely passionate to me because i know what it feels like to be the very yeah. minority female coach in a whole group of of guys so um yeah, I but I yeah, I am, I'm I'm hugely driven. I mean, my kids say to me, oh, mom, why are you still working so hard? And I say, yeah, because there's things that need to be done and somebody needs to do it. And I remember Billie Jean King saying to me many years ago, probably around 2012, you know, you've got a profile and you've got a voice, you've got to use it. And if you don't make a noise, nobody will hear you. And I, because she said it to me and she's been using her voice forever, oh. Uh, to promote equality and all sorts of things and I'm such a huge fan of hers yeah, me too. and I thought wow you know what I'm gonna do it. it gave me a huge confidence to do it that somebody like her said yeah come on play your part um but I you know now I, I'm sort of thinking right I actually would like to see some of the younger coaches and players maybe some of the ex players stepping up and giving back because we all got so much from our sport and sh- we we all hopefully still have a passion for it but I'd like to see more of them getting off their butts and, yeah. and giving back um your mom and dad must be incredibly proud of you <laughs> Yeah, they they probably are. They never really say that too much. Although occasionally, um, I think they're quite Scottish, you know, quite <laughs> under the radar. You never blow your own trumpet. But um, there's there's been once or twice where my, my dad has spoken at something. I think I, I got an award last year from the WTA. It was called the Georgina Clark um, Mother Award. And I was following in the footsteps of some, oh, you know... Chris Everett, Kim Clysters. I mean, it was amazing. And uh, but I, I think I was the first one that was a, like a non player. And it was just that was such a lovely thing to get. And um, my dad spoke at it. And I could tell my dad was struggling to hold it all together. And I thought, oh, listen <laughs> to my dad. He's loving it. So yeah, I think um, they've had a, such huge excitement out of everything that's happened with the boys and and, and all the, the, the tennis things. I mean, you know, as tennis players themselves from Dumbling Club, North of Scotland County, Central District's tennis, they would never have imagined that you'd have a Wimbledon champion or two Wimbledon champions for a wee town in Scotland coming from their family. And, you know, they're 88 and my dad's almost 91 now. And I, I'm sure that a lot of the secret to their long life is the excitement. The joy they've had over yes. recent years. I, I, yeah. I truly believe that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, out of all the things you've done, kind of non-tennis, what would be their favourite thing that you've done? Oh my goodness! <laughs> Which is probably different from
1: your favourite. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I, I, it would probably be it would probably be Strictly. Um, my mum loves Strictly. My dad says. watches it my dad knows everything about it but he wouldn't admit to being a being a fan um I think (laughs) they were slightly anxious about it as were Jamie and Andy when I said I'd do it in case I was like terrible and first one off and and so forth but I think you know again my mum um she she makes great shortbread I've tried it. It's delicious. Brilliant yep. shortbread. Yep. She shares her recipe with anybody who wants it, but nobody quite makes it like her. So we reckon she leaves a little something out. Uh-huh. It. Well, she says she doesn't, uh-huh. but anyway, she she gave me shortbread to take down to the first strictly. So I had this huge tin of shortbread in the green room. It lasted about thirty seconds. They were like bees round a honey pot, and then it was like, can you bring this next week as well? It was like performance enhancing shortbread sugar so she, yeah sugar rush <laughs> yeah so she um ended up having to make shortbread every week for strictly but the buzz that she got out of oh, that, telling all her friends at the golf club the yeah. bowling the hairdresser you know and it of course it ended up in the paper you know because some of the some of the dancers put pictures of it and little videos saying thanks for the shortbread Shirley, you know like she's just absolutely loving that. And of course she got, she came down to watch the show. She got in the green room, she got to meet them all. It's, you know, I think it's things like that, that, you know, you you go out of your own world and you go into somebody else's world and you're seeing people that you never even dreamed that you would meet. And they're making a fuss of of my mum. I think strictly, I think strictly for sure. I think that was so much fun. A lot of that had to do with Anton. Um, being such a great partner, we, we surprisingly I mean I was rubbish, I know I was rubbish, but I think that Anton's fans, Andy fans, and the whole of Scotland voted and kept us in for and we, we got all the way to Blackpool, but that was an amazing experience for me. And actually, when I did it in 2014, it was the f- it was the first thing I'd really done for myself in many, many years. You know everything up to that point. was about the boys. It was about the boys, yeah, about <coughs> boys and travelling yeah. with the boys. And when I got the chance to do it, um, I really wanted to do it without thinking too much about how difficult it might be in the yeah. whole performing on a Saturday night in front of a live audience, etc., etc., which was really terrifying. But again, it's the it's the comfort zone thing. You know, if you you need to extend yourself you need to put yourself out there what's the worst thing that can happen I mean the worst thing for me was the heels and I was sure Mm -hmm. I was going to trip I never wear heels and um that was tough but also I think when you're older and I was 55 when I did that you realize that you can't learn in the same way it's much harder as you get older to take on something brand new but also your body's not quite as fit as it was either. No, and I think or um, I was very much the... I mean, I think Craig Revel Horwood said I was like a um, uh, rigor mortis. <laughs> 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 Which was... I, I the thing was, I, because I watch Strictly, and I know he's rude to, to everyone, you yeah, kind of want him to be rude to you because it's part of the show. And... Uh, I just laughed at it all, you know, and and not everybody can laugh at themselves in that situation. Some people take that very mm, they'd seriously be very sensitive very to it. Yeah, but yep. yeah, I think that was my favorite thing to do. And actually, now I'm learning how to play golf, and I am absolutely loving it. I've been learning for about six months or so now, and um, I'm really, really enjoying that. Um, so as a as a recent new thing for me. And I think the whole thing of being out in the fresh air, I like going out on my own and working out for myself. The solitude, I like. I'm really enjoying that. I've never been interested in golf before. All of my family play. But I think that's going to be my thing for my older age. I've always said that about I've always been active and enjoyed exercise. You need to find something that you enjoy doing and find someone or a group that you enjoy doing it with. And for me, I think that's going to be the kind of golf I'll do days out, nice lunch nine and wine sorted
0: perfect perfect so where is Judy Murray do you think in 2022 where do you think how are you feeling in 2022 generally
1: um I've got so much to look forward to you know I've got five grandchildren now um aged between eight weeks and six and a half which are wonderful fun and um I've got my tennis centre project we're at the sort of detailed planning stage uh, hoping to submit that in october hoping to start digging spring 2023 that is very exciting for me it's a lot of work it's a lot of learning you know again having to find the right people and people you know listen to a lot of expertise out in that kind of leisure industry field or running sports centers and so forth there's a lot to learn with that so I'm enjoying the new the challenge of that I'm enjoying playing um, I'm enjoying playing golf I'm writing a fiction book I'm well, loving that. well I was going um, to ask you
0: about that because you obviously <laughs> you wrote the, the 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 family book about tennis and, and and the whole story of of you and andy and, and jamie this mm. is the, but writing fictions. A whole new ball game. What what's that been like?
1: That that's been a lot of fun actually because um it actually came from Anton that he has written five books now I think where they're all set in the the world of ballroom dancing of course it. yes and yeah. his are centred around uh, World War Two stage, and he's a real geek for the history of ballroom dancing. I learned that when I was when I was spending a lot of time with him, and he created a series of books around a central character who is a ballroom dancer called Raymond Dougies. <laughs> I know. and uh, you know, I've sent a movie in this. I see a movie <laughs> coming. Starring him. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, so the first one of his was set in a hotel where you'd have a resident ballroom dancer. I think the second one's set in a cruise ship, same thing, resident ballroom dancer. Oh, okay. But it's the story around the person. And... Uh, I was talking to him and actually his agent and she said you should do one set in the tennis world and I thought you see I love english and I love I actually love editing things I've edited a lot of things in my in my time and I really enjoy that and I thought you know what and then I thought about all the things I've learned about the tennis world all the things I've witnessed and experienced and so forth all and that I thought, detail you know what I think I could do that so um yeah I'm 11 chapters into 14 and it'll come out next next June. And it's uh it's called the Wild Card. And roughly what's the what's the story? Can well, you tell a, us? It's a female central character and it's uh it's a feel good triumph over adversity um story. But it's set with it's set within a tennis
0: context. Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, yeah, that's my first one, but... I've there's no it. murders or anything. There's no murders and there's no <laughs> steaminess. Well, not really, maybe just a little bit.
0: Will there be characters
1: in this novel that we might recognise? Oh, there might be. There might be, just you wait and see. Yeah, there might be. But also, there, there, you know, there's an opportunity to talk about some of the things within the female tennis world that yep. still need to be changed. They're still not being addressed the way that they ought to to be so I think that you know when i when I do the publicity tour around it there's you an opportunity for me to raise a lot it. of these issues thats that still exist
0: yeah have you ever been um, I'm sure you have uh, in awe of anybody that you've
1: met for the first time um I think one of the one of the people that I was a bit I um, kind of nervous excited about meeting was Billy Connolly because he was Billy Connolly I know he's Scottish massive massive star and he wanted to come and watch Andy playing in the Australian Open one year and he was playing at the Melbourne Arts Centre his his stand-up show and when his agent made the request to the tournament to to ask us if he could come and watch Andy with us and I was like oh Billy Connolly that's mega Uh, it was for me it was huge because he was Scottish and um yeah, and so the tournament sorted it. They messaged me to say, right, we, we'll meet him at the you know, at the, at the VIP gate. We'll bring him to the player lounge. We'll text you and you Wednesday. come and meet him and, we, and you can take him to the seats when Andy goes on. And I ended up having a, a cup of tea and a radioactive pink donut with Billy Connolly. And I was just sitting there thinking, I can't believe it. I'm having tea and a donut with Billy Connolly, just me and him in the player lounge. And then he came and watched the match and he was doing his own running commentary behind <laughs> me. And you can, yeah, I mean, it's gold dust. I wish yeah. we'd recorded it. It was yeah. absolutely hilarious. At one point, he, he, there, was a, there was a net cord. So uh, Andy chased it. He, he, he gets there and he, and he misses the shot. And Billy Conley goes, bloody drip shot. And I said, it's actually called a net cord. And he goes, nah, 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 nah. It's a drip shot. He says, hits the tap of the net and it drips over. It's a drip shot. <laughs> it was that kind of thing the whole way through. It was just brilliant because normally I'm very edgy watching and I just sit in silence. Normally, don't speak to anybody. Luckily, Andy was winning quite comfortably, but he, I'd yeah, I've never laughed so much during a tennis match. And it was all down to him, of course. What what an experience. Yeah, and that'll be
0: another one when you look back and think uh, that that's and the and turning it on the other other side, there'll be people that are very in awe of you. Well, you
1: well, know, I was at, I was getting a fish supper for my dad last night and myself, of course, at Dunblane Chip Shop. And I was waiting outside because it was really hot in the chip shop and there was a group of kids. They must have been about 12 years old. There was eight of them and they were standing outside the post office opposite the chip shop and I could see them looking across and then one of them came across and said, are you Andy Murray's mum? And I said, yeah. Are you Judy? And I said, yeah, I am. And they said, it is her it is her and, the, and they all came across can we get a selfie with you go yeah yeah they were they were they were loving it and it's it's great you you know that you've made somebody's day um no it's uh it's great and i and, and you know sometimes when things are you know when things are tough and you, you think oh gosh you know i'm not getting anywhere with this or whatever and you'll get a message on twitter <laughs> or a social media or somebody saying love what you do it's great, you've done this and you've done that and whatever and we really appreciate you and and it's the normal people, the the, the, real in the, street, people. the kids in the street yeah. that you go, yeah, you know, this is we want to share our sport with as many people as possible. So um, yeah, those kind of things are And special. that's
0: filtered through to the boys as well, hasn't it? Because they're they're very good with, with fans and and the public, aren't they? Yeah, just... they
1: they are. They 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 have managed to remain very humble grounded respectful in spite of the world in which they have inhabited for a long time um you know and I think that like any mum when people say to you you know met Andy at such and such he was so good with us spent time with us or he spoke to the kids and he was so polite and he was interested in whatever whatever Jamie exactly the same you know at the golf club my mum's always Jamie, they always loved that. Her ladies at the golf club love Jamie. Jamie was the junior club champion. Oh, I know he's a great golfer. Yep. And, yeah, and um, you know, but he he has time for everybody. He always talks with a smile on his face, and I think you know, as a parent, that that's what you get your kids to be happy and healthy, grounded, respectful, polite, etc. All of these values, um, you know, that that are so important. And yeah, it's 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 great to hear that, and they give back to their sport. I mean, Jamie's got his battle of the Brits. Coming to Aberdeen in in December, you know he's investing time and 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 money to create something at the top of the country where you you know you wouldn't find world class tennis. Where,
0: where do you see them going in the future? Where do you see their your passions lying after after um, they stop playing?
1: I think it's I I I think they will remain in tennis. I could see Jamie doing uh, event management, tournament directing. He's got quite a flair for that. And he's got really good people skills. And of course, he's got a real good understanding of what works in the tennis world from all the years that he's been playing on the tour in many different levels of tournaments and in many different cities and countries. Um, Andy, I think I probably see him, I could probably see him taking on a a coaching role in an advisory way, you know, maybe 15 weeks a year with a young player. Um, who needs the guidance of someone who's been there and done it. I could see him doing something like that. I think he's very well respected by the players out there for his work ethic and his his court savvy, his tactical nous, And um, he speaks in a very measured way. I, I could see him doing something like that, not, not on a full-time basis, no chance.
0: If someone was to Google Judy Murray, what do you think would come up?
1: Um... I think Fed Cup, probably, in a tennis sense, um, being the British women's captain, I did that for about five years. Strictly would come up, for sure. Um, probably some of the stuff around my foundation, The you know trying to take tennis into places where it doesn't exist in Scotland. Um, pushy mum would probably come up. <laughs> well, I googled
0: it before I came, and what came up was uh, beauty regime
1: and style. Oh, I love it. Who would have thought? I know, who would have thought that? Yeah, um, yeah, that is interesting. I think quite recently um, I did a, a photo shoot for The Telegraph and it was uh, it came out actually, I think, the Wednesday of the first week of Wimbledon and basically they asked me if I would be interested in doing a little feature with them about my Wimbledon style and so I laughed and said I don't have any Wimbledon style and they were saying, no, no, we, we think you do. And they said, we'd like to talk to you about all the different outfits that you need for Wimbledon. And I said, actually, you know, that's quite interesting because I would wear something completely different if I'm just going in to meet friends. I'd wear something different to watch a match because you could be sitting there for four or five hours. In Um, the Royal Box, something different. In the Royal Box, if you're invited to the Royal Box, you need to be suitably dressed for Royal Box. There are always cocktail parties to go to. You need something different for that. The weather you know you need it so actually packing for wimbledon you need a real assortment of things you know and it can be anything from a fan to an umbrella you know or under a, a mm-hmm. waterproof because you could be sitting there and i mean obviously not if you're on the center court number one court and it's got a roof now but you know back in the day you could start a match at two o'clock and still be sitting there at seven when the sun's gone down and suddenly you're cold whereas it's been roasting at two o'clock so it's um so I, I, th- I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll do mm. it. And we shot it here at, at, at Cromlex. And it was, it's actually really fun because I always learn a lot from the stylists and the makeup yeah. artists. And I enjoy that part of it as well, how they can transform you because they know what they're doing. And sometimes bring outfits that you would never have picked off a rack. Or colours, even yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and they go, we thought this and we thought, you know, and um, I'm very happy to go again with anybody who's expert in their field because they know they know it better than me so happy to go with the flow so I think I'm quite low maintenance on these things I'm not somebody who turns up says, I'm not wearing that I'm not doing that I'm happy to give it a go Uh yeah so um, I enjoyed doing that and um, yeah I think on the the beauty side I mean I'm always just a moisturizer and mascara person and so long as I've got my hair straighteners because my hair goes quite wavy um, especially when it's a bit humid. But um, I've got much more interest in that. And again, I would trace that back to Strictly, where I saw the makeup artists transforming all of us. Incredible. incredible. You know, it, it, during the course of a morning or an afternoon when it was a show day. And it was just incredible what, how they could make you look. And you think, wow. I mean, I couldn't be bothered with all the time it would take for me to do that. But that's where I quite enjoy doing the TV things and the photo shoots because somebody's doing it for you and you love the effect.
0: Of it I'll take you back to where we started talking about Cromles uh, and the, the Victorian days and um, you know I, I love pe- I, I love historical dramas I love period dramas and I often think what would I be like which era would I like to have lived in if, if I'd had a choice is there mm. are you very much a now living where we are now or, or would you kind of think actually I could see myself in Victorian or you know
1: um I think I would I would go back to Roman times I mean Believe it or not, um, my favourite subject at school, apart from PE, of course, which wasn't a subject back then, was, um, or not one that you could do a qualification in, um, was Latin. I almost did Latin at university, so I love Roman times, Roman history, and I think I'd go back, I'd quite like to go back to Roman times.
0: But you'd have to not be a peasant.
1: Oh no, I'd be the queen! (laughs) I would have the rose petals in my bath and lots of servants and all the rest of it. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I'd I, yeah, I'd go back. I'd go back to that. Oh,
0: Julie, thank you for taking the time out of your busy. I know how busy you are and it's been a joy to, to catch up with you and, and have a good old natto well, of all sorts of things. great to see things. you too,
1: Alison. And yeah, good luck with the podcast and we must play golf one day.
0: Oh, you're, too, you're going to be too good for me. <laughs> Far too no, good for me. You. Yeah, no. Mike Tup is supported by award-winning financial planners McRae Financial Services. They offer top quality financial advice in a friendly and straightforward manner at every stage of life. With a focus on great customer service, whether you're thinking about funding your retirement or buying your first home, why not get in touch today? Visit McRaeFS.co.uk to find out more. Meanwhile, keep an eye and an ear out for the next episode of Mike Top with me, Alison Walker. Thanks for listening.